You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Liberty Family Church. For more information about our church, head to the website, libertyfamilychurch.net.au. Yeah, Lord Jesus, we just want to come before you now. 
even as we sang earlier, Lord, we want to surrender afresh. We want to lay aside anything that would just distract us from coming and beholding you this morning. We want to see you, Jesus. We want to be refreshed and, and kind of in a fresh and renewed way about the wonder of who you are, what you've done, what you've come to do as we reflect on this beautiful song. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you would move in our hearts, that you would guide us, that you would encourage us, that we would have our eyes opened to the reality of just who this child is and that that would change everything for us. Move in power this morning, we pray, by your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you long to see each and every one of us freed by this child. And we thank you. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, there's no reason, there's, um, sorry, there's no question that what child is this is a much-loved Christmas carol. What Child Is This was written in 1865 by an Englishman by the name of William Chattermax. No, sorry for my bluey reference. William Chatterton Dix. Dix became very sick and actually he became severely depressed as he lay in bed. The doctor said, you're going to die if you don't lay in bed for a long period of time, so you need to rest. And so he became, as he was lying there in bed, bedridden, he became quite depressed. And it was actually in the depths of depression, as he lay there in bed, that he had something of a spiritual awakening, something of a radical spiritual encounter with the living God. Holy Spirit moved in such a powerful way on Dix's heart and led him to put his time in bed to good use. He prayed and he read the word of God. That's pretty well all he could do other than lay there and eat and sleep. And as he did that, he developed a hunger for the things of God and he developed a desire to express that hunger artistically in such a way by writing hymns. You might have heard some of these hymns. I must admit, I don't know any of them, but you might. As with gladness, men of old, hallelujah, sing to Jesus. And of course, his most famous one, What Child Is This?, which was originally called The Manger Song, written to that well-known tune that many songs get written to, the tune of Greensleeves. Let's just take a moment to reflect on the lyrics together. Here's what they say. What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping? This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him Lord or praise, the babe, the son of Mary. Why lies he in such mean estate where ox and ass are feeding? Good Christians fear for sinners here. The silent word is pleading. Nails, spear shall pierce him through. The cross be born for me, for you. Hail, 
Hail, the Word made flesh, the babe, the son of Mary. So bring him incense, gold and myrrh. Come peasant, king, to own him. The king of kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. Raise, raise a song on high. The virgin sings her lullaby. Joy, joy, for Christ is born, the babe, the son of Mary. You know, I I love what this hymn invites us to do. I love the invitation that this hymn makes to each and every one of us. As we approach Christmas, yes, but really, I guess, any time, this hymn invites us to do four things. It invites us to reflect on who this child is, how he came to earth, what he came to do, and how we should respond. Now, I remember back in my early church years at the Uniting Church in Hillsville there, and I remember singing along with this one, one year, and as a kid thinking, man, this is a stupid song. Like, seriously, what a stupid song. Singing along what child is this? Uh, I wonder. You know, it's the same. It's the answer for pretty well everything in Sunday school other than sin and God. It's Jesus, of course. You know, and probably I think as, a, as an eight-year-old or whatever, I didn't quite understand what a rhetorical question was and why a rhetorical question might be posed and even the power of a well-crafted rhetorical question. A rhetorical question, and particularly this rhetorical question, what child is this, is not designed so much to be answered. Rather, it's shared to make a point and to cause us to stop and reflect. If you think to Scripture, who can think of a similar rhetorical question in the Gospels? I'll put you on the spot now. It's pretty hard. The disciples actually put made a similar rhetorical question in Mark chapter 4, verse 41, when Jesus stills the waters, calms the storms. It says this, And they, the disciples, were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? David Mathis, he's the executive director at Design God. He shares some helpful insights into what's going on here. He writes, Questions aren't just for solving problems and requesting new information. Sometimes questions make a point. We call these those rhetorical questions. Other times, the form of a question expresses awe and wonder about something we know to be true but find almost too good to be true. It's too good to simply say it directly like we say everything else. When the disciples found themselves in a great windstorm with waves breaking into the boat and Jesus calmed the storms, they said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They knew the answer from scripture. Only God himself can still the seas. This somehow must be God. But it was too wonderful just to say. This new revelation of Jesus' glory was too stupendous to keep quiet and too remarkable not to say it in some fresh way. God himself had become man and was in the boat with them. Who then is this? 
You know, this is exactly why Dix opens both stanza one and stanza two of this hymn with carefully crafted rhetorical questions. Dix is inviting us to pause, to ponder, to marvel at the gift of God in Jesus Christ at news that really, if we think about it and stop and think about it, is good news that is too good to be true, isn't it? It's remarkable. Dix's desire was, in a sense, for people to experience that same level of awe and wonder that he himself experienced as he read Luke chapter 2, verse 8 to 16 for himself in bed, that they'd come to appreciate this wonderful, truly profound truth personally too. God came in human form and he came to rescue you. He came to rescue us. He came to rescue me. Just sit with that, just for one moment. Sit with that truth, just for a second. Let it fill your heart today. Let Holy Spirit bring fresh revelation of this reality to you today. You know, we can... We come to this time of year, we know what we're going to be reflecting on and sometimes we can just cruise through, go through the motions. Just allow the wonder of that truth to take root in your heart today. God came in human form and he came to rescue you. He came to rescue you. So that's the first. This hymn considers, uh, uh, causes us to consider just who this child is and it also causes us to pause and consider how he entered earth. Stanza 2 reads like this, Why lies he in such mean estate where ox and ass are feeding? What's, what's Dix getting at when he describes the place of Jesus' birth as being a mean estate? Like the ghetto or something, I don't know. What's he talking about? Well, Dix is using an old phrase that's used to describe less than ideal conditions. That's what it essentially means. Describing the humblest of environments in which to be born. The first line we could update in modern day language to something like this. Why does Jesus lie in such a humble place where all the animals are feeding? Something like that. This rhetorical question, I think it should really cause us to stop. To cause us to consider what are the implications of Jesus' birth in such a humble place? Why did, did, of all places, God choose to send his son to be born in a stable and then laid in a manger? What does this say? Further to that, what does this actually say about God and his character? Primarily, I'd say the fact that God chose for his son Jesus to be born in a humble stable conveys a wonderful message to us. It does. It conveys a message that the transcendent God, the almighty, all-powerful, omnipotent, there is no one even compares or comes close to how good he is, he chose to humble himself and come to us meekly as one of us. Jesus rightly, think about how could the king of kings come to earth? He could have come... In with chariots of fire. He could have come with a massive chorus of angels declaring his way all the way down to 
the throne of one of the local rulers at the time. Let's kick him off. Jesus, you deserve to be on this throne. You are the ruler of all the heavens and all the earth. He could have done that. He was a ruler deserving of praise and adoration. And really, many in Israel expected, and those still waiting for the Messiah to come, still expect the Messiah to come as a triumphant ruler, as someone who would deliver them socially and um, all of that. As N.T. Wright, a New Testament professor in his book, Simply Jesus, says, he says, the people were longing for God alone to be their king. They were clinging to the hope set out in Scripture, the hope that after all these years, Israel's God would return to be with his people, to rescue them, to restore them, to condemn their oppressors, to take charge, to do justice, to sort things out, to rule over them like a good king should. And Jesus would, eventually, and he will, eventually, but not straight away, not right now, at least in full. God chose to enter earth as king in the form of a humble child, showcasing his humility, his relatability, his availability to each and every one of us. Unlike a a king who, has anyone been watching The Crown, the latest series of The Crown? No, just me. A few of us, yep. Um, You know, in in The Crown, it's, it's really... Interesting, because it would be absolutely horrible existence. Who'd want to be rich and famous, hey? Like, everywhere poor Prince William goes, he's got this security detail following him and keeping girls from him, which he was kind of happy about for most part. Um, But anyway, like, unlike an earthly king who lives in a castle, has a special forces security detail, has big gates and CCTV, and all those things to keep people away from them, away from approaching them, Jesus came to earth humbly in such a way that all people could approach him. There were no barriers. You do it, do it this week. Check out one of the gospel accounts of Jesus' birth and, and just consider the types of people who Jesus allowed to come near to him. God the Father said, there's no barriers with this one. You can all are welcome to come. All were given an audience with the king. And in doing all of this, as Jesus describes his own heart later on in his own earthly ministry in Matthew eleven twenty nine, he was pointing to his true nature, the core of his nature, that at his very core, he's a God who is gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus is a God who's gentle and lowly at heart. And at Christmas and, and any time we reflect on Jesus' coming, we, we celebrate what Paul says in Philippians 2, 6-7, that though Jesus was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Almighty God humbling himself, emptying himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Does that cause you to marvel all the more at God? Does it lead you to rejoice as you reflect on the gentleness and lowliness or humility of Jesus' heart that he was then, but he continues to be today an approachable, an available king for all.
What an amazing gift we've been given. What an amazing gift we're offered in Jesus. And this leads closely to the third point today. Dix's What's Child Is This invites us to reflect on what Jesus came to do, what he entered earth to do, to save people, you, me, anyone, Scripture says, anyone who would humble themselves and place their faith in him. And that second part of the second stanza speaks really powerfully to what our humble saviour would go on to do. It reads, nails, spear, shall pierce him through. The cross be born for me, for you. Hail, hail, the word made flesh, the babe, the son of Mary. Now you might be thinking, hey, Joel, it's Christmas time, it's not Easter. Why are you giving me the Easter message? We're marvelling at his birth, not his death. We want to focus on cute and cuddly baby Jesus with all the animals. Well, here's the thing, and, and I think David Mathis says this perfectly. He says, the word made flesh coming without a cross in view is no good news. The word made flesh coming without a cross in view is no good news. The light and joy of Christmas are hollow at best and even horrifying if we sever the link between Bethlehem, the birth, and Golgotha, the death. The cross he bore for me, for you. This time he comes not in judgment but in mercy. He did this for you. Christmas is for you only because his life is for you and his death is for you and his triumphant resurrection on the other side is for you. Nails, spears shall pierce him through. Doesn't ruin Christmas. It gives the season its power. Amen to that. Amen. Amen. As much as... As much as the nation of Israel were crying out for for physical or social deliverance, political deliverance from Rome, what Israel and all mankind, what I need, what you need and continue to need is spiritual deliverance. Spiritual deliverance. All people are doomed to die because of our sin, because of our natural heart desire to live in opposition rebellion against God. That's the natural state of my heart, and maybe you're unaware, but that's the natural state of all of our hearts too. But here's the thing. Thanks be to God. It's through faith in Jesus Christ that we don't actually get what we deserve. We don't actually get what we deserve. As Paul writes in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, That's what we deserve. That's our wage, if you like, for living a life where our hearts are hard towards God. We want to go our own way. We don't have time to follow his ways. Yeah? But, don't you love the but? But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's only, I think it was said earlier, it's only through faith in Jesus that we are made right with God. It's not our works. It's not how much we give to charity. It's not how good we are. (laughs) It's not anything outside of faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus makes us right with God. And because of this, really, 
We can't help but think on Jesus' death whenever we marvel on the fact that he actually came to earth, that he actually came to earth. Paul David Tripp, he's a pastor and an author, and he's got a great Christmas, Christmas devotional called Let Us Adore Him, and he shares some great insights. He writes, Sin had created a horribly unnatural separation between God and the people he had created. God created people to dwell in loving and worshipful moment-by-moment fellowship with him. That's what we're designed for. People were not designed to live independently. They were not made to figure life out on their own. People were meant to live according to God's will and for his glory. The great question of human history was, how will this gulf between people and God ever be bridged? And Jesus came as the only possible answer to this question. He could meet God's moral requirement in every way by keeping his law without one instance of failure. He would be the final lamb of sacrifice, paying the ultimate penalty for our sin. And in his perfect life and acceptable death, he became the only way to restore relationship with God. He would return things to the way they were created to be. Nails, spears shall pierce him through. The cross be born for me, for you. Hail, hail, the word made flesh, the babe, the son of Mary. Praise God, friends. This is Jesus, the word made flesh. And the word made flesh came to earth to die and pay once and for all the price, that is death, for all of mankind's sin. Hail, hail, the word made flesh indeed. Amen. Okay. Here's a final thought I want to draw out to encourage us with today. Dix's What's Child is This also invites us to consider how we should respond to this child, how we should respond to Jesus. Reading the final stanza, stanza three. So bring him incense, gold and myrrh. Come peasant, king, to own him. The king of kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. Raise, raise a song on high. The virgin sings her lullaby. Joy, joy, for Christ is born, the babe the son of Mary. What are we seeing here? We're seeing an invitation to respond. An invitation to respond. Words that should provoke us, I think, to consider our own rhetorical questions. Things like, am I drawing near to the king of kings who offers salvation? Do I have a heart that actually longs to enthrone him? A willingness to see him and to set him ceremonially as the Lord and the ruler of my life. Or maybe this one. As I marvel at God's gift of Jesus, do I find myself singing a song? Do I find myself joyfully singing a song on high, celebrating that Jesus has been born and has changed my life? Friends, here's the beautiful truth that Dix urges us to consider right here in the final stanza. Jesus came for peasants and Jesus came for kings. Jesus came for peasants, he came for kings. He came for the lowly 
and he came for those of prestige. He came for the powerless and he came for the most powerful. For all people, Jesus came for all. And his love is for all. John 3, 16 to 17 so beautifully frames God's heart and desire for each and every one of us. Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And verse 17, which sometimes we leave off, but it's really important. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That was God's plan. And that right there, maybe you're here today and you know, you're on a journey of seeking spiritual truth or perhaps you're listening online and, and you've been walking away from God and, and you know like for whatever reason today you're watching along and you're thinking, oh man, I haven't been worshipping this God. I haven't, I haven't even sought out Jesus for so long. Well, let me just tell you today, this is his heart for you. His love is for you. And perhaps, you know, you're here or watching online and you've never before even considered, even considered like, oh, I didn't realise, I didn't even think about Jesus coming and I just kind of think of it as like the norm on Christmas that we sing about and I've never really thought about the lyrics. But as we've focused on them today, I've, that something's happening inside and I'm going, maybe I need to respond to this. Maybe there's something here for me. Maybe this child's love can be experienced personally. Maybe I can know this child too. Well, can I encourage you? Make today the day where you choose to humble yourself and approach God because as I think was said earlier in the service, any, it, all it takes is a step forward on our part, an openness, a willingness of heart to say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I surrender all. I want to know you. Will you forgive me? I place my faith in you. It's as simple as that. You do that today. You pray that prayer sincerely today and you will be saved. That's just how it is. It's as simple as it is. It's so simple it almost seems foolish, but it's that simple. It really is. As we said, Jesus makes no barriers for people to come to him. There are no barriers. The only barriers are those that we set ourselves. I encourage you today, break down any barrier. If you're online, break down any barrier. Cast aside anything that would keep you from coming to Jesus for the first time today. And I guarantee you come to him. Life won't necessarily work out perfect because God doesn't promise that. But I can guarantee that through every season, every circumstance, every stage of life, life will be richer, life will be fuller because you are right with God and you will have, through faith in Jesus, the spirit alive and working within you. And there can be nothing better than that. Amen? Let's pray and close with adoration as we remember Jesus, the saviour of the world, that he came to earth to rescue us, that his love is for all. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that as we come around your word, as we reflect on these beautiful carols and Christmas songs this year, Lord, that are so scriptural, 
They're, they're based on the familiar accounts that we so often reflect on at Christmas. We thank you, God, that we can, through your Holy Spirit, be filled with awe and wonder afresh. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for the beautiful gift of this song, this hymn, What Child Is This? We thank you for the way that Dix crafts it to cause us to stop and pause and reflect and be in awe and wonder and then personally respond. We thank you, God, that we can, as the disciples did, say, well, who is this? As we do that this Christmas, what child is this? We can just be filled with awe and wonder afresh. And as we reflect on how you came to earth in the most humble, the, the most mean of estates, as Dix wrote, the most humble and unlikely estates, we remember what that means in sense of your humility, your approachability, your heart to connect with any person who'd be willing to come. We also can't help but look forward to what you came to earth to do. You didn't just come to earth to make a cute scene in a stable, but you came to earth to, to usher in your kingdom, to show people the way, to, to love God and love others, and then ultimately to die as the Messiah, to truly save and set people free who place their faith in you. And God, in light of all that, we just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to respond in beautiful ways. Lord, that we would not just go away and go, oh, yeah, that's great, hallelujah. But, Lord, you would challenge us, even in the rest of today, to just pause and consider, what child is this? And then in light of that, Lord, that that would be prompting us to long to respond in singing songs of joy and a life song of joy, not just a moment of joy, but a life song of adoration, a life song of joy and wonder as we continually walk in step with you, Holy Spirit, marvelling at just how truly good God's gift of Jesus Christ is for us. We thank you, God that this is the good news of the gospel. It's good news for us, but it's also good news for the world as well, for those who don't yet know you. And so I pray this Christmas that you would stir our hearts to talk with people about Jesus, to invite people to come to our Christmas service next weekend so that they might be encouraged, they might have their hearts stirred, and they might come to a place of adoration in Jesus Christ too. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the power of a great song and the power of a well-crafted rhetorical question. And we praise you. We give you all the glory and all the honour and all the praise. And everyone said? Amen. Amen.